If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there's a variety of ways to do so. You could become Marie's friend on Facebook or even follow her on Twitter. Check out Marie's website. There's tons of new features like Chakra of the Month, a live Twitter feed, and three PDFs with extensive exercises for your chakras. You can also sign up for Marie's free quarterly newsletter and also get your questions answered in her Dear Marie column. Simply email Marie your question and she will answer it in an upcoming edition. Marie also will be speaking and signing books throughout the U.S. in 2014. Find out if she'll be in your area on her events page at energyintuitive.com. Hello, I'm Eric Crema, Operations Manager for Alternative Talk 1150. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2014 KKNW Listener Survey. Your responses help us shape KKNW to your listening needs. As an added bonus, just by filling out the survey, you will be entered to win a trip for two to beautiful Victoria, B.C. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape the station can be found at 1150kknw.com. So log on now. Hi, I'm Max Unger, center with the Seattle Seahawks. Did you know that during summer vacation, many Washington State kids often go hungry? We have to tackle this problem now. So join me and the Dairy Farmers of Washington to spread the word about Summer Meals for Kids program. Schools, communities, and organizations will be providing free, nutritious meals to children 18 and younger. There's no registration and no IDs required. Again, all the meals are absolutely free. To find the site nearest you, visit parenthelp123.org and let's tackle youth hunger together. Thank you. Have you been thinking about heading down a healthier path but aren't quite sure where to begin? Marie has a set of DVDs that can help steer you in the right direction with wisdom, insight, and a dash of humor. The Healing from Within series imparts practical tools you can easily use to expand personal health. Marie collaborated with frequent radio guest and naturopath Dr. Sheila Dunmerit to produce four DVDs that include detoxification, heart health, brain health, and hormones. The DVD series can be purchased online at energyintuitive.com or by calling 425-825-5671. Coming up next is an encore presentation of the Marie Manucherry Show. For more information about her show, visit energyintuitive.com. Welcome to Marie Manucherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 16 years of professional healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My medical background combined with intuitive insights and skill in moving energy have been a catalyst for transformation in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. everybody, and welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. I'm Marie, and we are live here where energy and medicine meet. And we have a phenomenal guest here today also on the show. She's just going to be calling us back as we just had a momentary technical glitch here on where energy and medicine meets. And so as she's getting ready to reconnect with us, I'm just going to talk a little bit about lovely Lisa Oz. So Lisa Oz is a producer, a writer, an actress, and a frequent co-host of the Dr. Oz Show on Oprah and Friends. Yes, this is Dr. Oz's wife, yeah, and her new book, Us, is hysterical. I don't know if she actually meant it to be super funny, but I thought it to be um, very human and natural appeal of understanding how daily life exists for all of us. Uh, she also, um, Lisa, co-authored five New York Times bestselling books, including You, the Owner's Manual series. She is president of Ozworks LLC and Media, an investment co- consulting company that she founded and directs 
Pine Room Pictures. Um, she also is the mother of four children. And, uh, and of course, um, what she says at the back of her book, what I think is adorable, um, that she's somehow unable to organize her closet or stick to a diet. And that's pretty much how the book goes. It's funny. It's humorous. Um, it's, uh, it's real. And I, I think that when we're working on spirituality... Um, then reality is very important because we're all trying to grow in that direction. So welcome, Lisa. How are you? I'm great, and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And you're calling us all the way from New Jersey, correct? I am. Yeah. And in fact, I read a little piece um, in the book. Of course, it is very funny. Hats off to you for bringing all that humor across. I think it'll help people then feel more motivated to do the exercises that you have in the book. And as for all of the listeners, and I know I speak of you a little bit from what you said to Lisa in the book, that some of us are addicted to self-help books. So um, exercises are always fun. <laughs> <laughs> At least some of yours are. They're really, really interesting and easy. But um, I know recently, at least before uh, Dr. Oz moved you know, started the show, you were going to have to move. And yeah. uh, you're talking in the book about letting go of detachment or letting go of attachment, I should say, learning to detach. And, uh, and that's kind of what the book is about. There's personal, beautiful, interesting stories about family and life that all of us can relate to in some way. And then how you got around it. So were you just, uh, you've been writing for a long, long time, correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, I'm not, I would not say I'm a natural writer. Um, I am I am a talker, and so what I like to write are screenplays because it's a lot of dialogue. Um, and this book ended up being a conversation with the reader, so it it got much easier. But it was it was I when you know with the U books that I've written with my husband, we have a ghostwriter for those. Oh, so the, the grueling you know blood on the keyboard <laughs> was not mine <laughs> with those books. Uh-huh. Um, but the reason I wrote the book the way I did, because it was not the book I intended to write, I set out to write a much more academic, typical, spirituality-type book where yeah. um, I was going to prove how brilliant and deep I was. Um, <laughs> and, and that book was not going to be written and utterly refused. Um, so I finally came to the conclusion through conversations with friends that what I needed to do was um, understand that that us, the title, doesn't just refer to the relationships I talk about in the book, but also refers to the relationship that I was creating with the reader. And if I didn't allow myself to be vulnerable and put myself on the page, then we couldn't be friends and we couldn't have a relationship. And they would never see themselves in my stories if I didn't share myself. So that was why it ended up being the way it did. Well, congratulations. I think it's it's very well written, and I think that that means... This vulnerability that you described, it's a, it is you being deep. That's pretty deep when you can be honest with yourself and stand up there somewhat naked for many, many thousands, millions of people to potentially, you know, read about you and also teach at the same time. So, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. So in the in the very first chapter, because we're just going to talk about the book and you and all these okay. wonderful things, um, you talk about you, you know, as the individual, as the reader, you know, helping them to understand that they aren't the things that they think they are like their careers or their weight or height or their gender, that there are many things beyond those things. Well, we, we do identify, and I say we because I do it too, and, and that was one you know, way to preface this entire conversation and the book. I have not figured it all out. I do not have a perfect life. I do not behave perfectly. So everything I talk about in the book is stuff that I'm working on myself. And I know that the ideas are... are um, are good and true, and applying them will make your life better. 
and I'm trying to do that myself, but I have not figured it all out. <laughs> but um, with with um, our identification and and with the ego and believing us ourselves to be something other than our true self or our essence um, does nothing but cause a lot of anxiety, competition, frustration, um, and so. Part of what I set out to do in this first chapter was to just help people see that they aren't who they think they are, um, and or we aren't who we think we are, because I think we realize that as we go through life and all the things that we've attached to, whether it's our looks or our financial situation or our opinions, tend to fall away as we move through life, and yet we still are who we are. We still are our essence. And, you know, if you... if People who've had their, you know, had lost their hair due to cancer, and have always thought of themselves as someone with like great hair, um, still know that they know that they are still who they are. So one way you don't want to have to lose something to understand that who you are. So um, what I talk about in the book is are ways exercises that I came across. There were ways of of finding out who we are at our core. I know, and I love the observation deck. That's one of my favorite exercises of all time, something I've been doing you know, for maybe over a decade. And, and I loved how you described it. I've never heard it called the observation deck, and I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and how you said, you know, a particular time a day for a particular amount of time and just also recognizing that you will be anxious, that it may not be comfortable, but all of that is profound and ultimately can lead you towards what we're all wanting um, is change. Well, it's actually kind of an interesting experience because the way I talk about it is in traffic, when a car pulls in front of you and cuts you off, you get angry, your blood pressure spikes, you want to yell at them. I occasionally raise a middle finger, do bad things. (laughs) But if the car swerves in the other lane into a car next to me and cuts off the car next to me, I can say, my gosh, that's a bad driver. But I don't take it personally. It's not an an assault on, on my very being. And so when you can start to have that same ability to observe without emotional reaction in your own life. Um, and you just, with the exercises, you just start trying to practice it. And, but at this point, I've, I have been working on it. Again, it's not something that comes easily to me. But, but it's fascinating when I'm in the mm-hmm. middle of a, of a fight, an argument, <laughs> right. a stressful situation, to be able to hear this voice in my head going, is that what this is really about? <laughs> you know? And, and that's when the, the choice comes in, right? And which, you know, the next chapter is all about change, which then allows us to have more choice. But, and I, of course, I don't mean to speak for you, but is that what you feel like when you're in that moment? You hear that voice say, is this what you really want? And does that provoke perhaps an opportunity? Well, I, I, I think so, because I think mm-hmm. as long as we're um, completely entrenched in our egos, we don't hear that voice. And we defend whatever it is that we're feeling, that emotional response, that opinion, that thought. We defend it with our lives because we think it is our lives. So we we can't change as long as if there's a behavior that is hurting us or hurting our relationships, as long as, as we identify with that behavior and we think it's part of who we are, we cannot change. So I think the first step in any kind of change is to separate the identity from the behavior and also to realize that you know you you don't you do have a choice and that voice allows you to have a choice because you don't have to be highly reactive you don't have to allow your circumstances to determine your response mm-hmm. yeah because one of the things she point out is that we all want change and we have great ideas about what that change is supposed to be but we have a very difficult time actually making the change so that we can have new experiences in our life well, part of it, I think, is that we're not really in touch 
with what's going on. We live on the surface of our emotions and our reactions and our thoughts, and we spend very little time asking what this is really about. Where, what, what am I actually feeling? What do I really want? Um, you know, what's the big picture here? And, and I think that part of that in, is the admission that our, a lot of our negative behaviors that we say we want to change we benefit from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to lose 10 pounds, you know, at least. <laughs> and yet there is a benefit to the way that we eat. It's, for me, it's, it's the drug of choice. It's the numbing agent. <laughs> it's, the, it's the way to self-soothe. So there is a benefit. As long as you deny the benefit and just say, this is a bad behavior, I need to change it, it won't change. You, you can't change until you find another way of addressing that fundamental need that you're addressing through negative behavior. Well, you know, you're obviously an incredibly bright, experienced woman in your young years of life. And when I was reading the foreword, I chuckled a little when your husband said that he originally thought you were writing this book for him. (laughs) And, you know, it's the the crib notes for him because he hasn't always listened or been present when you've given him wonderful healing advice. And so now he can, you know, take the book to bed, I would imagine, and, you know, catch up. (laughs) No, he he actually does listen very, you know, he's very, he's the most curious, um, intellectually, uh, just adventurous person I've ever met. He really is Mm -hmm. open to... Anything, you know, even stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, like we'll, we've been to India and seen bizarre healing um, practices, and it's all fascinating to him. So right. he says he doesn't listen. It's just because he doesn't always do what I tell him, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he listens. Oh, that's really great. So back to the topic about suffering, you know, because yeah. um, I thought that was a really phenomenal chapter. It is true uh, that suffering leads us to a deeper connection with ourself and ultimately the divine, you know, in the celebration of whatever conclusion we've come to through the suffering that we've gone through. But it's not something that we are educated about. You know, it's not something that we learn necessarily through even educational process. It's something that we do everything we can to avoid. But yet many times uh, things happen and we can't avoid them. Right. Now, I, I think that suffering can lead us mm-hmm. to a place of, of deeper understanding and integration with ourselves and with the divine. And yet it doesn't have to. Ah. It really is how how we approach it. Because certainly there are people who have become worse because of their suffering, who have become bitter, full of hatred, um, angry people who, and who, who haven't seen suffering as a, an opportunity for growth. But I don't think that suffering necessitates that path either. I think suffering is an opportunity um, to either, because, because it is a, it, it, it's a, it's a, a severing of, of ourselves from those attachments that we talked about earlier, um, in any in any way, um, this, and yet, and so and so, we can become more in touch with our true selves, and we can become deeper, wiser, um, more whole people because of the suffering. Um, but that's our choice too. I mm-hmm. always I think that the one thing that we always have in this life at every point is a choice: is, are, Am I going to grow in this experience, or am I? not going to grow in this experience. Right, right. And of course, in that observation deck is maybe where you get to see a little bit more of potential choices. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you, throughout the book, you talk about your weight, um, but on the cover, um, you look stunning. Give us neck up <laughs> for a reason. Okay. Well, you look absolutely stunning, but I do find it humorous, and and also it is something that m- more women than men tend to be more conscientious of, and and even over. Uh, we pay too much attention to our weight and our body, you know, in unhealthy ways, I think. Well, I do think, yes, yes, it can be unhealthy. And um, at this point, well, there are two things. One is I think that when we are not our best selves, when we do carry around extra weight or we or we don't get enough sleep or we have a run-down immune system so we're, you know, always chronically ill, we don't show up in our lives for the people around us the way that we could. I know that with myself, when when I've gained a couple pounds and my pants are too tight, I'm crabby, I'm snappish, I don't want to go out to whatever social function my husband is dragging me to. <laughs> um, so, it, so it really does impact our relationships, which is why I think it's important. That being said, I, for me, again, it's really about... And what we eat is important. I, 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 on so many levels, um, nourish, to be able to nourish our bodies, but also when the choices we make are ones that are um, antithetical to global well-being. Um, and by that I really mean the, the huge amounts of animal products that we eat that, that um, necessitate factory farming, which I think is just probably one of the worst things we've done in, in this century, or at least this half century since the end of the war. But that being said, I think for most people, in terms of um, the big picture and our, our growth and our spirituality and and our, our emotional health, the issue with weight and with food and with our health is what, as I said earlier, our why we're eating, not what we're eating. It's when we eat... Um, as an addiction. And I think that we as Americans numb ourselves constantly, whether it's with television or telephones or radios or blackberries, um, blackberries, (laughs) food, cigarettes. It doesn't matter what it is, but when you turn to something to check out of experience, to not feel what you are feeling, those feelings, even if they're unpleasant, whether it's boredom, frustration, anger, are signals. And when we are numbing ourselves and becoming dead to our lives, I think there's a real problem. And, and you know, there's always a physical manifestation of, of the non-physical, of the spiritual realm. And I do think that this obesity is, is a physical manifestation of the fact that we are, we are completely uh, sleepwalking. Right, we are. Well, luckily, some of those laws uh, regarding the farming industry are beginning to change. I think California is the first law, I mean, first state that's actually incorporating some laws where we can't have animals mass caged. Right. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully in the next decade, we'll see some profound changes and begin to respect our animal kingdom, um, which will help us, I think, respect ourselves as well. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I, I don't know. think that the whole planet should be vegetarians. Right. But I do think that there is a way, and certainly the way our grandparents ate is a better for them, for us, is a better, it's better for your body and better for the planet. You know, we don't need to have an animal product three meals a day, seven right. days a week. Right. Um, just right. if we ate more sparingly, we wouldn't need these giant factory farms churning out all this product all the time. Right. And we're not hard doing hard labor on farms like we used to. No, it's these so. giant machines. It's, yeah. it's big business. It's not right. family farms anymore. Right. It's conglomerates like Monsanto. 
<laughs> well, we actually have callers because um, this is a call-in show, and you've graciously agreed that you would love to listen to some questions and offer sure. some advice. So we're going to go ahead and um, go ahead and go to the phone lines. And so, Eric, who do we have? Well, our first caller today is Alice calling from Maple Valley. Hi, Alice. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling um, for my daughter, and she has this is um, a health issue, and this is um, what happens to her on the right side of her body, um, a few inches from her navel, um, out of the clear blue. Um, she gets. Um, it's like a she gets poke. Um, it just sticks out, and she's in excruciating pain, mm-hmm. and it sticks out really bad. And what's frustrating is um, she's had numerous tests. She's been tested for hernia. Um, I took her to the hospital for that, and um, they blew her up for that. And she said a CT scan, mm-hmm. she had a biopsy for a cellar disease. Mm-hmm. She's had a colonoscopy. And this can happen when she's in a meeting, when she's just reading or in the middle of the night. And it's so frustrating because um, um, she has spent a lot of money that the insurance hasn't paid, and yet she doesn't have any answers. Right. Um, so, so, so it, um, I'm, I'm, Alice, I'm going to just say a few things to Lisa. So, Lisa, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, you know, because I'm actually an intuitive and I do lots of intuitive readings. But I also know you're a Reiki master and that you're very intuitive as well. In fact, your husband actually says you're a closet shaman. <laughs> so, so um, do you have any advice for you Alice's You know, I'll just daughter? say, and this is not even an intuitive thing. This is just from personal experience. And, and I do write about this in the book, so I'm not outing myself. Right. Um, and, and I cannot tell you how many people I know where this is the case. Um, I would take her to an infectious disease expert who mm-hmm. knows about... Um, tra- how old is your daughter? She's 29. Does she tra- has she traveled? Um, she was in Mexico, but that was... Um, okay, so a- I would guess it's parasites. We, there is such an epidemic of parasite infestation in this country, and we don't think that we can get them because, heck, we're in America, we're so clean. I, I would say two-thirds of everyone I know has had some form of parasite, whether it is an amoebic parasite, which is what I had, or worms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, the symptoms are bizarre and far-ranging, but that would be my guess, especially when the regular doctors have no clue of what it is. Yeah, um, even, even though this has been going on like for five years. I had amoebic parasites for nine years, mm-hmm. and they, mm-hmm. my only symptom was back pain and an elevated C-reactive protein, which is inflammation. Yeah, and she was getting, um, the other night, um, it was just protruding, hurting so much, she told me, and then she was getting really bad back pain. Uh-huh. I, I, I would put money yeah. on it being parasites. Yeah. Okay, so she should see an, an internist? Um, an, an, an infectious disease doctor who specializes in tropical medicine. Okay. Wonderful. See, okay. I knew you could answer that question well. <laughs> Did you have something else that you were thinking? Uh, oh, no, no, no. That's perfect. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, the only thing I was sensing was the relationship between you and your daughter. You know, how much you worry about her and stress about her. Okay, yeah. as, as if she's five, you know, and she's 29. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I know she hasn't been feeling well. And all parents, you know, loving, cherishing parents and whatnot, just adore their children and don't want them to be in pain. But I think that, you know, perhaps, you know, worrying less about her might help um, speed up the recovery process as well and make it even easier to find a physician who's able to diagnose her accurately. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. So we're going to go ahead and go back to the phones. All right, let's talk to Maya in Seattle. Hi, Maya. You you are live on the air here, and you are and you can talk to Lisa here and ask her a question. Okay, thanks. Um, well, I had a question. I've had issues with my bladder for mm-hmm. on and off for maybe ten years. It's gotten a lot better, but probably about a year or two ago, um, if I wasn't, you know drinking a gallon or more of water a day, I'd have a lot of pain, like a UTI, but it wasn't a UTI, and um, just a lot of sensitivity in that area, and I was wondering if you had any advice or if there's any any insight about it. So, so you get to be the doctor for the hour. I don't know if you knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? You may have a, um, a subclinical UTI, uh, where it's not, it's not, you're not having constant symptoms. I, um, what I find to be very effective in that kind of situation is cranberry extract, and it's not ocean spray, you know, the sugary cranberry stuff, but real cranberry extract and just put it in a glass of water, drink that every day, and that concentrates vitamin C in the urine, and it actually keeps any kind of low-grade infection at bay. Uh-huh. Yeah, it works really great. And in fact, in our area, it's called Just Cranberry. Uh, uh, it's very bitter, so you can throw in a little packet of stevia if you want to, but it works miracles. Okay. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, you're, you're doing great here. <laughs> and energetically, the bladder is about frustration. So uh-huh. I, I would look at if you're easily frustrated in life, that could be irritating yeah. the lining of your bladder, which could make it more susceptible for bacteria. So I would, right. So is that true for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's a homework assignment that you might find okay. fun. And what I would do or suggest is to lay down on a floor and act like you're two and throw a temper tantrum, like maybe three times a week. Just kick and scream and uh, act like you're two. Okay. <laughs> okay. Help get that frustration out of the bladder. All right. Thank you. Right, you're welcome. Okay. And then we have another caller. We do have another caller. We've got uh, Anne calling from Issaquah right now. Hi, Anne. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. And your question is? My question is, um, I would like to know, um, hi, Lisa. Hi. (laughs) I would like to know um, who has had a strong influence on you and your own personal kind of philosophies and your spiritual development. I've actually heard you talk quite a lot. I've listened to the the show um, that was on the Oprah Network. So I've Ah. heard you and, and Dr. Oz talk a lot. Yeah. Um, dead or alive? <laughs> um, actually, both. Um, with the if, with those who are no longer walking the earth with us, um, Emanuel Swedenborg is probably the most influential in my life. Um, I was raised in a church that follows his writings. Um, they're uh, they look at the um, spiritual sense of the Bible. Um, rather than just taking it literally. So every, we believe that everything in the Bible has an um, internal meaning so that, and is relevant to us right now. So, for example, the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness 
is representative of our own periods of um, of trial and frustration and loss when we're lost. So, mm-hmm. Manuel Swedenborg would be number one. Um, with the people who are still with us, um, there, Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest based out of um, New Mexico, is probably the wisest human being that I've ever encountered. It just has such a profound way of looking at, um, a, a relationship with the divine and, and getting in touch with our true self. But I would say those two people have had the biggest impact on my thoughts. And then my parents, obviously, as well. Um, they, cause they, uh, they, they really, they live what I, what I write about. So that, that would be, that would cover it. Well, oh, cool. Thank you. Great Thank you. question. Thank you so much for calling in. That's a wonderful Thank question. You. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that um, we're going to talk about, too, besides the divine, is also sex, because you have a really great um, entire chapter on sex. And I think the overall message, of course, is to choose, you know, healthy, loving sex partners, but to have sex, you know, that um, that's something that as a society, if we are having a lot of it, it may not be in the way that um, would be divinely energetic for us. And then there are many, many people not really engaged aging and intimacy and sex. Well, I think in our society, the, one of the interesting things is that, you know, there's a, this whole um, Gnostic principle as above, as, as so below. And and I do think that, that within our societies, you'll see the same pattern repeating itself in different areas of life. So if you look at what we've done to food, which is to completely strip taste from anything that it was accompanied by, which is its n- n- nutritional value and um, and its beauty and its and its life giving energy. Um, so now you have something like you know a, a cheese puff that tastes good, but is nothing else. We also have done that to our sexuality. So now you have internet porn, which you know looks good and is stimulating sexually for people, but there's nothing else that. It, generally accompanies that eroticism there's no connection there's no intimacy there's no um there's no union with another person so i i think that we are we become super saturated sexually and and i think we use erotic the wrong way i think the erotic is really that that yearning to connect with another person so i think we have this the sexuality without eroticism i think we have a a society where it's no longer about, and I don't think that sex is about necessarily about procreation. I really do think it's about union. I really do think it's about ultimately about growth and and uh, personal and as a couple and about um, going to places that you could never go as an individual. You know, sex is, has this really profound ability to transcend space and time and to take us outside of ourselves in a way that nothing else can. But we've lost all of that because it right. becomes all about just the mere act and the mere physical pleasure. It's all the orgasm. It's nothing else. Right. Wonderful. Well, we're going to come back and continue that conversation and others with Lisa Oz. We'll be right back. Healing is so important to our body and Marie wants to show you just how to do that. Here's a list of upcoming events. Join her at Hollyhock on Cortez Island in British Columbia. It's all about energy, perception, and healing. June 29th through July 4th. 
She'll also be stopping by East West Bookshop for two days of events. July 25th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. It's all about letting your body tell you what it needs to heal. And on July 26th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., connect to the infinite intelligence within. For more information about Marie and her events, stop by the website at energyintuitive.com. We live in a world that's become predictable. Our realities are filled with distractions, hopelessness, and confusion. We've begun to lose touch of what we're truly capable of. It's time for us to regain our true potential. Join psychic medium and crystal child, Lindsay Paul, as she connects to the other side and brings back messages from beyond. Along with her psychic and skeptic, Abraham DeWeese and indigo child, Sarah Ellis. They'll help you soar to new heights by answering your questions. Don't miss Wisdom Within radio thursdays at 1 p.m take a look under your bed find stuff under there what about jobs no now try your basement there's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore a perfectly good laptop that hasn't seen your lap in months and even more stuff but still no jobs well you really have both see stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group sometimes this stuff is no longer needed wait no longer needed that can't be right because remember those jobs you were looking for those are really needed and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to phoenix our job is to unlock those jobs and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local goodwill Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Manifesting dreams into reality is meant to be exciting and easy. When the tools you use stop working, a lack of self-worth is most likely holding you back. Marie's Affirm Your Worth cards are the perfect solution to increase self-appreciation while magnetizing your dreams into reality in a nurturing and fun way. Order the Affirm Your Worth cards online at energyintuitive.com or call 425-825-5671. On Friday, Manson Mitchell celebrate the 4th of July with the fleeting history and memorable music of one-hit wonders. On Saturday, preeminent theologian Matthew Fox talks about his research into 13th century mystic Meister Eckhart. Then Catherine Alice returns with great advice on how to manifest your soulmate. Is there a magic path to love? Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Click the show's page on 1150kknw.com for the scoop on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Coming up next is an encore presentation of the Marie Manucherry Show. For more information about her show, visit energyintuitive.com. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie. We're live here in Seattle with Lisa Oz, and we're talking about her wonderful new book, Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships that Matter Most. And Lisa and her husband, Dr. Oz, will be here in Seattle on June 2nd. They will be honored at Bastyr University while they, re- while they receive honorary degrees from the university. So that's exciting. So if you want to see and meet Lisa and Dr. Oz, then you want to go to BastyrUniversity.com and go to the event page and get your tickets for the evening event on the 2nd of June. So that's very exciting. And you've been to the Northwest before. I have. I was actually out there last year um, 
I spoke at Best Year. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. No, it was beautiful. It's just, I hadn't, I've been to Seattle a couple of times, but I had always stayed in the city. And I didn't realize how gorgeous the outlying area is. So on a personal question, how do you manage having such a big life and meeting celebrities and being a celebrity and then also doing all this inner work? How do you manage all that? Well, you, you know, this celebrity thing is fairly new, and I'm huh. not a celebrity. My husband is. But... Oh, I would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, this year is the first year he's had a show. Uh-huh. Um, so it hasn't become all consuming yet. And, and and right now it's all work and no play. So everyone thinks, oh, this glamorous life, and actually it's a lot of work. And um, he comes home later than he did when he was doing surgery every day, and crashes. So it's not like it's, we're going out to parties with P. Diddy every night, <laughs> which would be fun. But no, it's it's really, our lives are so much like everybody else's lives. It's not even funny. And the thing is, the way you get stuff done is you have to not do other stuff. And everybody's got 24 hours in a day. What I do not do is watch TV. Mm. Um, so with like when a lot of people will turn on the television and watch like, you know, a drama and then, or comedy and then a drama and then the news, there's Two hours you've just wasted. Right. Um, so that I don't do. There's one television show I watch. 24. I, I 24. saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going off the air and I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I won't be able to get on the treadmill anymore. You're going to have to find some really cool new sci-fi thriller suspense uh, show. So they can get, well, you'll be on the treadmill anyway. You look absolutely gorgeous and stunning. Despite all the comments that you made in the book about eating and M&Ms and Snickers and Almond Joys and all of those delicious things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the exercises I loved in the chapter about sex was, um, it was the day two. So you've got it mapped out in today's, which is really great. So we can be organized and we know what, you know, how to, what to do next, sort of speak, but about taking off all your clothes and sitting, facing each other, allowing only the bottoms of your feet to touch and allowing the union of the soul to come together. Well, you know, I did not make this up. This was actually something that I read years ago in Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s book, Cat's Cradle. And I think they call it Bakumaru or something. I can never pronounce it. So he made up some weird word. But Mem and I tried it um, just because it sounded like fun. And it really is. It's an amazingly intimate position because it is, it's non-sexual but intensely erotic because you're not engaging in any sexual activity, but you're looking at each other. You're very vulnerable because you're naked. You're touching each other, but only through the bottom of the feet. And it's amazing how many um, nerves you have in your feet that you're not even aware of and how much you can sense the other people energetically through through their feet and your feet touching. Um, and, and then you see that you start to breathe in a certain rhythm, and, and of course you laugh at first, and you get through all those giggly, awkward but then it really is a very intense connection, and and it makes you get past that vulnerability where you don't feel safe, and helps you get to a place where you feel perfectly safe for the other person with the other person, which is what you need to do to have a really incredible sexual experience. Right, transcending all of the mundane things, so you can actually have a transformational experience making love. Right. Yeah, an incredible experience. Lovely. 
really lovely. So, um, and then you have a, a nice chapter on family, by the way, and talking about the difficulties and and the joys of having family and all kinds of family, in-laws, you know, our neighbors, our family. I know, yes, you wrote about in-laws, and my ex-in-laws are also Middle Eastern, so I, I could relate um, to the kind things that you said, actually. I mean, I thought you were very kind and subjective regarding what you said, um, and but I loved what you said about the Buddha. What was that actual exercise about the Buddha, um, awakening the Buddha? Was- oh, yeah, this is something um, th- that my mom does. Uh, oh. if, I don't know where she got it, um, but she's been doing this. It's an exercise where you imagine that the person that is offending you in whatever capacity is, it's, I, I don't remember what I named the exercise, the Buddha, Buddha within or something, um, but you imagine that they're doing it for your own good, it's it's because it's actually actually they've been charged with this with giving you this in your path of growth, and because everything really is an opportunity for growth. So rather than blaming them, to approach it with approach their behavior with gratitude, because they they it's not that they want to be obnoxious. <laughs> they just agreed. You know, I don't know. I I am not a big follower of those spiritual contracts. I know Carolyn Mace is a big mm-hmm. advocate of them, and and I have a very close friend who actually was the person who introduced me to Reiki, who is all about, you know, a, a spiritual contract before you're born. But the whole idea of, of signing on to serve each other in other ways, in different ways. And so m- the way that I, we do this exercise is to imagine that the person who's offending you is signed on to help you. And this is the thing that you need for your own spiritual growth. So just rather than being angry with them, to be appreciative. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic exercise, and, and I believe it is true. You know, I, I, what I sometimes think of is, you know, the reason why our families piss us off so quickly um, is because we've had so many lifetimes and we're still working on the same thing, you know, and so we're immediately irritated by them. But they are absolutely a blessing in our life, trying to teach us something that our consciousness wants to avoid or push away at all costs, or so it seems. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, and one, you know, one of the things with that I talk about in the in the chapter on on marriage is this idea that our spouse is the person that does that the mm. most. Mm. Um, this presses all of our buttons. But again, you know, soulmates are not just people who are are the most fun. They're right. the people who enable our souls to grow. Um, so I do think that there's people who are in our lives um, and provide us with opportunities for insight, for greater insight and in knowing who we are, um, greater capacity for compassion and forgiveness. I mean, even people who do things that are horrible to us do teach us the lessons of forgiveness mm-hmm. um, and and give us opportunities for growth. So I, I do think that, that the, those people closest to us allow us um, those opportunities all the time. Mm-hmm. And I loved your suggestions for family, you know, like having a, a bowling night, taking everybody out bowling, you know, really spending time with the family, not necessarily at home watching television, but doing an activity that everyone could enjoy and maybe something out of character so that everyone gets a little bit more freedom. You know, with our family, it's always hard because our kids are such different ages. Our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 10. And then we have two teenagers in between there. So it's hard to find, first of all, it's almost impossible to find a movie that everybody likes. Um, and, and since they've all been at different stages, it, it makes, forces me and Mehmet to be more creative 
um, to think of things that we can do as a family. Bo- physical activities are always the best we found, whether it's bowling or going to the driving range and golfing, um, going hiking, just because everybody can can participate. When it's something like watching TV, you can't you you don't even like the same television shows when you're that spread out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also love the idea about having the kids talk about their favorite holiday or birthday experience, bringing up old memories, I, I think really unites a family. Well, m- my kids, their favorite, favorite, favorite thing to do on like a rainy Saturday is to pull out the old videos of them as babies. Aww. And it's like, wasn't it cute? <laughs> cute? <laughs> they love that. And it, it is, it's a, re- it's a really good bonding opportunity. And just to see how much they were loved and are loved is, I think, really affirming for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and to, to see whether my youngest is 10, just for him to see his older sister when she was his age, wow. see how much they look alike. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really great family activity. Yeah, great bonding, great bonding. And then in your almost the last um, chapter in the book, you talk about God and our relationship to the divine and that it really is about a relationship, not a fearful, oh, I better not make a mistake oh my gosh, I hope I did this right type of relationship. But for you in particular, and I think it, that's true for many people who have decided to have a relationship, it's it's an inner dialogue. It's like a constant connection to someone or on and off again throughout one's day. Well, definitely for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, that is, I, you know, I, when I was younger, I would think I was must have been schizophrenic or something because <laughs> I had this ongoing dialogue all the time. And, it, and, you know, for some people, it's just conscience. But I do think conscience is an extension of the divine. And and for me, it's, it all comes down to relationship. And I, I want to be in relationship with those I love. And I don't think that we can love the, the creator or um, the, whatever you want to call God without being in relationship. You, when you're in relationship, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's mutual. It's give and take. You, it's not all one way. Um, you, ha- you have have to spend time together. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have a relationship with someone that you never speak to. If you know, if my best right. friend were in China for ten years and we didn't speak once, we could still be best friends when we'd finally see each other in ten years. But but the relationship will have suffered. Right. I do think that that relationships, whether it's with um, family or spouse um, or co-workers or the divine, all of those relationships need our attention They, are, in order to grow. And I do think relationships should be living, um, growing, transforming entities because nothing stays static. In order for them to be growing, they need attention from us. They need our, our um, nurturing. They need um, they need to be a part of our, our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the relationship with creation or the divine, um, you also believe that it changes one's perception when they can slow down and have this connection. Well, you know, it 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 does take you out of the natural, the material, the everyday. Um, when you can look at things from a different perspective, when you see the big picture when you feel connected to something bigger than you, when you're it, when when the entire universe revolves around you, um, it, it's hard to have real meaning. Mm-hmm. It's hard. The, the universe becomes incredibly small, petty, and 
limited to your own, inside your own head. Um, so I do think it shifts everything when you get outside of yourself, when there's something bigger than you, when there's something higher, something more important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises that I thought was excellent um, is to draw a picture of how you see God. You know, yeah, I mean, that's exciting because I think some people don't think about that or they only hold on to maybe older images from Sunday school in their mind versus how do they really experience God or what are their senses telling them about it? Well, with, with one of the purposes of the exercises in this chapter in particular um, was to encourage people really to, um, I don't want to say create your own religion, but to really um, become aware of what your religion was and what you actually believed and who you actually think God is and just to um, bring all of that stuff, things that we just sort of push into the background and, and take for granted and don't really, and you know, don't pay any attention to since grammar school, since, you know, we're in, right. in, in whatever religion you were brought up with, just to, you know, think that you can check that off in your to-do box and move on. Um, Again, I, I, I think it's really valuable to question what exactly we believe, um, not to just say, I believe whatever, whatever religion you're saying, or the Catholic Church says, right. but to really know what, what is important to you, to mm-hmm. know what your values are, mm-hmm. to know who you think God is and what your connection to God is. I, I, I really do think it's incumbent upon all of us to examine that part of our lives. Right, and make that independent decision for ourselves of what it means to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. if you don't know it, you can't really make a real decision. Right. You no, know, you can't. It's not a, it's a decision by default. It's not one of choice. And again, this is another theme that goes through the book, but it's all about choice. And it, it started, the choice has to start with honesty. And when you, when you are honest with yourself and you understand knowledge and honesty and then choice. You also um, shared a funny, I thought it was a funny story. I don't, I don't know if it's humorous for you or not, <laughs> about a friend who... Um, Perfuse, you know, constantly states that he does not believe in God, right. and, and it's almost like he's arguing with himself <laughs> or the universe that he doesn't believe in God. And, and how you pointed out that that's a relationship too. It is. Yeah. It is because it, you know anything you spend that much time on, energetic, you're giving your energy to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Um, did, did you talk to him about that? I was curious when I was reading that. Did you actually ask him or say, "Aren't you having a relationship with God with all your frustration?" I don't think we would be friends. If I said that. <laughs> it's something that's so you know he's so raw and yeah. so angry, and it's not my job. Um, right. If he reads my book and he sees that, maybe he'll get a little glimpse of himself in there. Right. If not, that's again. It's, in my my own personal journey and my spiritual growth is my business, and everybody else's is their business. Right. And I would I I hope that I can be helpful, but but again, it's it's their choice and their right. yeah. So in truth, um, whatever we're speaking about, whatever we're spending time with, whatever we're choosing to do, that is what we're relating with. And, you know, it's funny because Swedenborg, a person I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, says what you are, what you love. And I really do believe that because where we where we spend our time, what we put our attention on, um, what we do is who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for those people who are doing things that they don't love, that they don't like, that are driving them crazy, um, then, then maybe that's a sign that they're having problems relating with themselves. 
Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Also, one of the questions or um, actually exercises you had in here, too, on the God sub- subject as well. And literally, the chapter says God. The other one says sex. <laughs> it's quite adorable. But about charting, you know, or making a note about those moments in your life where you felt God was with you or you were aligned or in connection with creation. Yeah, I just, I do think, again, it's about awareness. Um and understanding ourselves and, and how how we connect to everyone and everything. Um, but you can't do that. A lot of these exercises are just bringing our attention to things. So mm-hmm. where you are, where where your life was working, where you're in sync, also where it wasn't. Where What was going on in those times when you felt disconnected? I mean, I've had plenty of those moments where mm-hmm. I wasn't engaged, where I was behaving selfishly, where I was totally materialistic. Um so I, th- I, but but being able to um, reflect, if, mm-hmm. if you can't see yourself doing it in the moment, I think it's useful at least to be able to look back and see um, how see how you were. Right. Oh no, I, I think that's actually. I wasn't thinking, although I like that idea of the times where you felt disconnected, because I think that's a great exercise too, a great reminder of what it feels like to be connected and what it feels like when we we aren't allowing ourselves to be connected. So I think that's a great idea. But I immediately thought of, like, when my children were born. You know, yeah. what, what a profound moment that was, many moons ago, right? But um, what a profound moment that is. And I think reflecting on those moments helps us again to reestablish that relationship. You know, the funny thing is, is when you consciously try to become aware of them, like the moment when your child is born or um, an incredible sunset, I mean, nature has a way of doing that for people, you know, just overwhelming us with profound beauty and order in the universe. Um, but when you when you consciously look for them, they're everywhere wow. in the most silly places that you would never think... It, you know, I, I I don't know if you remember the uh, I don't know if you remember the movie American Beauty, but um, the, mm-hmm. the the kid who appreciated the garbage bag floating down the street. <laughs> I mean, there is that kind that that it's the universe is such an amazing, incredible place that blows your mind, and and it's just waiting for you to open your eyes and see it. Mm-hmm. And and so and I agree. Those are there are many many moments in life. If you just take the moment, the opportunity to be present, then you can have that feeling. And and so also in the book you talk about our thoughts. You know that our thoughts, um, as it's a popular conversation today. You know throughout the world that our thoughts are also creating our our options and our choices, whether we realize them or not. Yes, um, and I, I do. Again, we think that our thoughts are are us and that, mm-hmm. that, and that we have no control over them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, I think that uh, some thoughts just pop into your head and, and you're, I, th- I don't think that you necessarily have to, you know, beat yourself up because you had a thought of, you know, like killing your in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not that I've ever had that thought. Right. Um, of course, of but, course not. But that, you know, that I, I, only take responsibility for that thought when I make it my own, when I dwell on it, when mm. I when I um, embrace that thought, and and I do think that we we are our thoughts because our thoughts determine our actions, right. and underneath the lower thoughts are our beliefs, and so I think that to really, if we want to shift our behavior, we need to 
look at our thoughts and see through those thoughts, find out what it is we believe, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the universe, what we believe about the people in our lives, and really become aware of what those underlying beliefs are because, and if they're not ones that are serving us, to shift those beliefs. And then our thoughts will change and then our behaviors will change. Oh, beautifully said. And I, again, love the book Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships That Matter Most by, of course, Lisa Oz. And so I know you're going to be in Seattle here in a few weeks. And any other fun, exciting things you've got on your plate these days? Or too many to count? <laughs> um, I'm going to be in Seattle and Denver and Vegas and Chicago. So I'm looking forward to a bit of travel coming up. Ah, well, we wish you happy trails. Thank you. Great snacks <laughs> <laughs> and a good glass of wine now and then as you, you know, uh, share your wisdom and your insight and your fun, fun personality with all of us. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's just a pleasure having well, you here. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. We'll have a lovely uh, day in New Jersey. Thank you. And um, I look forward to seeing both of you speak in a few weeks here Great. in Seattle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we wish you a wonderful day. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye. You've just heard an encore presentation of the Marie Manucherry Show. For more information about her show, visit energyintuitive.com.